Hey guys, and welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. Feels like it's been a while. It probably has been a while, to be honest with you. Um, not much has been going on in the world of boxing, so there probably hasn't been much to talk about. I think the last big event we saw was the Frank Warren show at York Hall. Um, probably not much to report back on that. Thought it was a really good small hall show. And I think one of the things we don't talk about very often is the quality of small hall boxing. And the reason I say that is there are many podcasts and the tub thumpers and the fans of Steve Goodwin tell you he does the best shows in London, yada, yada, yada. And there used to be validity in that. But what's happened over time is as Eddie and Frank have got wiser to how you bring the talent up, how you get the ticket sellers going in order to, to fluff out your shows that aren't doing as well as they used to, you've got to get these small hall guys as early as you can. So actually what ends up boxing at the York Hall circuit, or as I'd call it, you know, the, the chitling circuit, isn't really of great quality. So it was good to see Frank bring a decent standard of boxing to York Hall and people can criticise the opponents and this, that and the third. But for a 1,200 capacity venue and the revenue that generates, I thought the fights and the fighters you got there were impressive. Not only that, I thought a lot of the boxing people that came to support your John Pilates, your Lawrence O'Coley's, Big Steph, who we're expecting big things from as well, O'Hara Davis, you know, Umar Sadiq sticking around afterwards. If you're a boxing fan and you want to be around boxers, that was the night to show up. You could have got time with Dean White. You could have got time with absolutely anybody. And that's what made that that small hall experience fantastic. No. Shouts out to Brooke. Shouts out to to Andy P for hooking me up with the with the ticket. I really appreciate that. It was just nice to see, you know, everyone, you know, my guy Big Linton, the general Big Joe, Belgium's best cruiserweight. Don't believe the hype. He is the best cruiserweight that to, to ever come out of Belgium. So that was all fantastic. And that was enjoyable. It was a great experience and the atmosphere was crazy. You know, I know Eddie likes to take shots at Frank and say Frank's yesterday's man. And this, that, and the third, and it gets a bit tired. But the reality is, the atmosphere that Frank can bring when he gets it right, you can't replicate it a match from show. You just can't replicate that chemistry of people that really know their stuff about boxing, people who are really passionate about boxing, and people who have been involved in the sport for a long time. It's just a different energy. And I thought that was a successful night for Frank. So congratulations to him. You know, Sonny Edwards did his thing. Umar Sadiq definitely did his thing, and it's good to see Umar back on the upward trajectory. I feel Zach Chelly underperformed that night, and he made Cody Davis look better than he is. I wonder if they'll give Cody Davis to Dan Aziz, because Dan Aziz will make light work of him, in my opinion. And it was also good to see Dan that night, that, that Carl Kanai top he had on, next level. So that was absolutely brilliant. But today, what I wanted to talk about, and it's a heavy... Sometimes I just speak about boxing with a heavy heart, and I guess this is one of them. For days and for weeks, we've heard Nigel Benn will make a boxing comeback. Nigel Benn wants one more fight. He wants one more run, never really knowing what the story is. 
so today we find out Naja Ben's due to fight Saki Obika. I think somewhere in the Midlands in in the in about seven or eight weeks. I think everybody, without exception, that listens to this podcast will be a huge Nigel Ben fan. And if you're not a fan of how he boxed, you respect the heart of the man. He's a legitimate hard man. He's a legend of British boxing because you don't meet people like him very often. There was probably Joe Frazier, then there was Nigel Ben. And that's sort of the gap between them. Every 20 years, a guy comes along who basically says, you're going to have to kill me to beat me. And then goes about proving that. Fight after fight. And in the big moments, even when he's outclassed and he's outskilled, he finds a way to come out on top. Nigel Ben's a special man. Nigel Ben's a special boxer. However, Father Time remains undefeated. Nothing defeats Father Time. And for that reason, I don't want to see this fight. And I've said it before on podcasts that I think there should be a space for guys like Nigel Ben to scratch that itch. And, and I want to be careful how I say this. If you told me Nigel Ben was going to fight Steve Collins for three three-minute rounds, or maybe four three-minute rounds, on the undercard of a Dillian White fight, Yes, it's got a touch of the freak show to it, but I get it. I think those guys have three or four rounds in them still. Having trained with guys that age, they still have something in there and they still have that bit of the warrior in them. Would I want that over an extended period? Eight to ten rounds? God, no. Would I let them wear ten-ounce gloves? God, no. And for those reasons, I hope this fight doesn't happen. If it was literally just, we're going to give these guys 12-ounce gloves, and they've got four three-minute rounds to knock seven bells out of each other, and Nigel Ben wants to go at Saki Obika, who's been named as his opponent, fine. 100% on board with that. I'm okay with that. I could watch that. But here's why this fight doesn't work. As soon as I finish this podcast, as soon as I walk away from this microphone, I'm off to go and do 10 four-minute rounds, hitting the bag. I'll probably do 15 minutes of shadow afterwards and some skipping to loosen off. And then maybe some some cardio, just to, to keep it going. But in terms of the bag work, I can hit hard, hit quick, look good. L- you know, people look at that and they'll go, wow, this guy really knows what he's doing. And yeah, I know what I'm doing. Now, you take my 16-ounce ammos off, wrap my hands, and then put me in 10-ounce gloves against someone of a similar size and ability to me. Or maybe someone younger. A little bit quicker. And I can't imagine anything worse than getting peppered with those 10-ounce gloves. Why? Because ultimately, you lose that ability to take the pain. That's what age does to you. You can't take the shots. The body shots hurt twice as much. It's almost like you've forgotten what the pain feels like and you have to go through that whole five-year cycle of fighting novices and fighting better and better guys until you're ready. So you can get used to the pain in its varying degrees. So I'm worried about that on that level. Can he actually just take the shot that will be coming back? Because Sakio Bika last boxed two years ago. And Sakio's 
he's reasonably heavy-handed. He's horrible. He's tricky. He's nasty. He's old school. You know, he's cute with the head. All these things that you probably wouldn't want. You'd probably want a softer touch. But Nigel's gone in at the deep end, and I respect that. But it's not for those reasons. I don't want to see a proper fight. I just don't. Because 55 is 55. You're slower. Your reflexes aren't what they used to be. Your desire is just not what it used to be. There's an interesting thing that says the big step changes in testosterone levels in men come every time they have a child. You drop off, you drop off, you drop off, you drop off. And Nigel's had a few kids. So what's really left in the tank from an aggression perspective, from an anger perspective? I have no idea. And I love Nigel Ben. I love Connor Ben. I love that Ben legacy. Whatever's in their DNA, I love that never say die spirit that they have. You know, but I wish Nigel would just look at what Chris does. Where Chris goes, no, I'm not getting back in the ring. Why do I need to? I proved everything I needed to back then. And I understand the emotional thing where Nigel feels he wants closure. They were the exact reasons Ricky Hatton gave. And we saw what happened with Senchenko. And Ricky's big regret was he didn't build up to it. Because everyone thinks once you get it, it's just about getting it back. But after 23 years, it's not about just getting it back. It's actually about earning the right to be back in that ring. And that's where I don't know if Nigel's done that. I haven't seen the training, so I don't know. But we'll find out pretty soon. My instincts are the fight won't happen. I don't think the fight will happen for two reasons. One, I think common heads will prevail. Sorry, I mean common sense will prevail. And wise heads will also prevail. Secondly, I just don't think people want to pay that much money to watch Nigel Ben in a fight. Because we all have a heavy heart thinking about one of our icons going out there and us seeing a shadow of who he was. And I think in this YouTube age, these comebacks become harder. And people use the justification of, well, George Foreman did it. Eh, he's a heavyweight. And he, it was 10 years, but George could punch. He had that one punch power whereby not many of his fights had to go long. So he was okay. You know, Mike Tyson coming out of jail was never the same man and the decline was fast after that. Eric Morales, that's still three or four years before he came back and won the WBC title from Kano and then fought Danny Garcia in two epic fights and fought really well against Maidana, let's not forget that. But in terms of Nigel, who really wants to see Nigel box again? I don't. I love the memories he's left me with and I love his impact on British boxing. He's a hero to me. Like He's one of the few people that can render me speechless. This fight just fills me with all kinds of dread. Why? I have to get out of my fist and my feet. I've been, I've been struggling all through, through my career, through my addiction, through my depression, through everything. And now after... 10 years of living a very clean, healthy life, having genes in my life, I have peace. But I didn't get closure when I fought Steve. I was right. We're all boxing fans and we understand how this game works. And we know what will get us off our seats and we know what will get us to the screen. So... As boxing fans, and some are hardcore, some are casuals, but we're all boxing fans. No one's better than anyone else. You look at Logan Paul versus KSI and you say, 
that's cool for the YouTubers. But what's this card going to give real boxing fans? And who's it going to help get over? As a boxing fan, I can't see anything wrong at this precise moment where they are in their careers with Billy Joe and Gabe Rosado fighting each other. Now, I'm going to outline my argument why I think this is a good fight. Gabe Rosado's skill set's underrated. His in-ring intelligence is underrated. His ability to actually box, really, really underrated. You know, he's got that road warrior tag attached to him. He's got the blood and guts tag attached to him. He's got the gatekeeper tag attached to him. Kind of fair, but also kind of unfair. So for me, I like Gabe Rosado as a fight. And he's got a look. Of, a, of that kind of YouTube generation, heavily tattooed, you know, doesn't necessarily conform to, the, to any kind of stereotype. He's a good man, he's a nice man. If you follow him on Instagram, you'll know that Gabe is a really cool guy. But he's got that look that will draw the, the KSI Logan Paul sort of crowd in. So for Billy Joe, it's a great way to, as I say in wrestling, to get over. But he seems so reluctant to get involved in a fight with Gabe Rosado that you wonder... What does Billy Joe really want to do in his career? Is it literally pay me the most that you can for me taking no risks? I don't know. Is he saving himself physically? Is he saving his mileage, his career mileage, so he can fight Canelo and fight Triple G? I don't know. He, he leaves us more confused with every interview. You tell me if they're right or not. Yeah, go on if you want. Rosado? Go on. Children of? Go on. Selecki? Nah. What, none of them are right? Yes. Uh, no. Two, no, no. two are right? No, 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 actually, no. Rosado, everyone thought it was Rosado, everyone assumed it was Rosado because he put a few posts up, but no, not him, no. Cougan is... Realistically, anybody with the right brain cell can only look, and they're going to look like he got beat his last performance. So, and that were at middleweight. So, how's he going to get a shot at a super middleweight on? Well, well, well. I genuinely don't know where Billy Joe goes. And I suspect he's not going to get the big fights he expects in 2020 because Hearn has form for promising the earth and not delivering it. You know, let's flip it around and talk about Kel Brook. You know, Kel's been dusted off the shelf because clearly numbers aren't doing well so you've got to get a brand name out there that the fans recognize so Kel Brook comes out and we all know he's not going to fight anyone with a name but they'll dangle the Amir Khan character in front of you again this happens every time I'm going to have as Hearn would say one last shot at making Khan Brook why wouldn't you just make it for December 7th in Saudi that's the shot you need there's no bigger stage that's the chance they're going to get to get the money and DeZone will love that fight because it does numbers. Amir Khan in the Middle East fighting Kel Brook. You know, with that Tenerife incident. You know, nothing is going to be of more interest. Like some of the Saudis might even see that as like a, an analogy for a public stoning. Yet, we're not going to see that. Because it's too expensive. And it's another golden opportunity gone. Because no one cares about that fight now. Just no one cares. Brooks' career is so washed up now and it's so sad to see because we still see the sprinklings of talent. He's almost like a David Hay type figure where we want to see that peak again, but we know he's not getting any younger and he's not living the life that would suggest that he could reach that peak again. 
And maybe he needs to step away from Hearn because I know he's proclaiming that he's a free agent, which I'm cynical about. And if he was a free agent, he'd sign with Al. And he'd fight the loser of Spence versus Porter. Then he'd fight the loser of Garcia versus whoever he fights. And then he could start saying, right, I'll beat both of these guys. Give me a Pacquiao. Give me so-and-so. And if he's really a free agent, why doesn't he go and fight Crawford? Brooke has so many options, and it seems that the people around him are too stupid to see them. But Kel's the guy we want to see back in the ring. We want a peak Kel Brook for us is a victory for boxing. But I don't know if we'll ever see that again. So now I'll come back to my favorite topic, which is obviously Ruiz Joshua or Joshua Ruiz 2, whatever the naming convention is. And it's been strange how in the media we're told Iran has struck the Saudi oil fields with their drones and it's a deliberate escalation and we're hearing that troops are going to be called in this, that and the third. And people forget, I think Saudi Arabia were one of the top five spenders in terms of military budget on the planet. So it's not an inconsiderable army. And I think Iran has a standing army of somewhere around half a million. So the risk factors here are really high. And you imagine that if there was another significant attack on these oil fields, that you are looking at that fight having to be not even postponed, but moved. Which would affect the economics of it, I imagine. But we pay lip service to this because according to Hearn, everything's fine and there's no drama. But it's almost as if Hearn's saying one thing and Trump's saying another and he's hoping that his word will outweigh the words of Donald Trump. And I don't know which one of those two narcissistic morons I distrust more. That's that, That's the crazy thing here. We're, we're almost painted into a corner where do you go with the guy you don't trust or the other guy that you don't trust? So until this Middle East thing's solved from a geopolitical perspective, right, we're always going to have this nervousness attached to it around what do you do? You know, when, do you pull, when do you pull your fight from there? Do you have to wait for the U.S. to start you know, sending their Tomahawk missiles? And I'd, I'd hope not. But obviously the, the Saudi-Yemen thing is a problem, and that's a massive risk that no one's talking about, that, you know angry Yemenis use this boxing as an opportunity to, you know, strike back at the Saudi regime. So if you are thinking of going, you need to think about this and you really have to do your research on how volatile that region actually is because there, there are countries that don't necessarily mess with Saudi Arabia and they'd love to bring this down as, as a political statement to say, look, here's your, your great Saudi kingdom and we're making mincemeat out of it. So these are discussions that should be had. I think it's the right thing to do. And I don't think it's right that we let Hearn just set the agenda for this because potentially human lives are at stake. You know, everyone talked about Saudi Arabia in terms of it doesn't treat women well and so forth and it stones some people, but no one's talking about what Saudi does in Yemen. And let's not forget, one of the greatest boxers of all time to come out of this country is Yemeni. And if I'm correct, Kid Galahad promoted by Eddie Hearn is Yemeni too. You know, we haven't heard Kid Galahad talk about this, which has been a shame because you'd like to hear his views on what's going on there and how he feels about a fight happening in Saudi Arabia. These are the things we'd like to know. But on the upside, and let's, let's try and dwell on the positives regarding this AJ versus Ruiz 2 card, the undercard's looking solid. It's looking like a, 
a real pay-per-view undercard. And I, I'm always going to offer my opinion on an undercard before the event. You know, because that's how I want to judge it. I want to judge it based on how I feel as a consumer before the event. So if this all comes off and we get Michael Hunter versus Povetkin all over that fight. All over that fight. I think it's a good benchmark fight for Michael Hunter. And if Michael Hunter can make mincemeat out of Povetkin, which is possible, then Michael Hunter's a real threat to most of those, especially the bigger heavyweights. And you'd almost argue that Ruiz could fight him if he beats Joshua, even if he loses to Joshua, it's a good fight. Would you put Hunter back in with Usyk as a rematch? Why not? Let, let's see if it's any different at heavyweight. So Michael Hunter puts himself in the mix for that, which is fantastic. So these are the kind of fights I want to see. Scott Quick versus John O'Carroll be a good fun fight if both of them are in shape and in form. It's a fight you'd sit watching. You know, hopefully they're not trying to be too negative in that fight. So I'd quite like that. Hergovic on there as a big heavyweight will be fantastic. I, you know, I'm intrigued to see how they build him. I don't think he's the killer that people make out. I think he's too immobile for his size. So someone like Wilder could easily do the damage. And I know people will start to draw parallels with Vitaly Klitschko, but Vitaly could move. Just like Vlad, they came from martial arts background, so they already had the footwork nailed. Whereas with Hergovic, I think Hergovic is, is the quintessential big old lump. I wouldn't even be salty if we got Liam Smith versus Jesse Vargas. I wouldn't be salty if we got Liam Smith versus Kell Brook. Yeah. But at least for one of the few times on an AJ card, they're opening up the checkbook and... They're trying to deliver value this time because I think you understand that you're going to make most of your money on the pay-per-view, so you've got to invest in the card. And you've got to put the money behind, you know, making the card deep so people want to watch at least three or four of those fights. And that will also keep the haters at bay. Although, still find it kind of interesting that there'll be no female bouts on there. Well, it's not a surprise as such, but the way Hearn was being bullish about hinting at it, you know, it was it was cheap publicity. And in light of how serious the plight of women in the Middle East is, I thought that was kind of cheap publicity by Hearn. And hopefully we won't see that again were he to return back to Saudi. But a fight I want to talk about, and, you know, and it's a fight I'll be intrigued. I think this is in early November. And it'll be Miguel Burchelt versus Jason Sosa. And people go, well, I don't know any of those two guys. Miguel Burchelt's one of those guys who I think is the real deal. For a number of reasons. He can punch, he can box, he's tough, he's Mexican. Yes, he hasn't tended to fight away from home too much. And Brits will know him because of the number he did on Georgie Jupp. In one of those fights where you think, why was it even made in the first place? But I'll do, I'll do a pod on matchmaking some other time. Burchelt is a world champion that no one talks about, but he should be on a pound-for-pound pound list because he minces people. He literally minces people. And I imagine on Lomachenko's list, Burchelt will start to loom high if he can do a real number on Jason Sosa. You know, he, if he does, if he were to ice Jason Sosa, then you've got to start saying that's the only guy we want to see Lomachenko fight after he unifies. 
You know, I don't imagine guys like Frampton stepping up to fight him. I don't imagine guys like Farmer wanting to fight Burchelt. It doesn't make sense. But Miguel Burchelt's one of those world champions who should get more acclaim than he gets. Because he's a classy operator. He's a hell of a fighter. And he's the sort of guy that if he was British, you know, he'd be at that Ricky Hatton level of fame. You know, but guys, it's been a slow, it's just been a slow week in boxing, hasn't it? The thing we've got to look forward to, though, and this is a shining light on our week in boxing, is we get to see Errol Spence versus Sean Porter. And I think the build-up's been really interesting, and it's been interesting for a number of reasons. The key one is just the clash of personalities. Sean Porter, decorated amateur, deep experience. I've reeled off the names this guy's been in the ring with. The guy was in the Junior World Championships with guys like Luke Campbell. So that's the sort of caliber he is. Luke Campbell... He had a storied rivalry with Danny Jacobs. He's been in with Usyk. He's been in with Matty Korobov, I think. You know, he's been in with a lot of guys who've gone on to do things. And he's got one of those really unbelievable amateur pet CVs. In terms of guys he's fought, he hasn't beaten all of them. But as a small middleweight, I'm not surprised. And so he goes in with Errol Spence, who has been good. Almost from the jump, he's been incredible. You know, hard to break his nerve. You know, real stoic character. And you've got, you know, the exuberance of Porter, the stoicism of Spence. And then you've got that all-out action style that Porter brings. But that precise thinking approach that Errol Spence brings. His ability to just break you down methodically. Which Porter's going to find, and I, I suspect Porter might eat a lot more left uppercuts than he has in his career if he tries that that bull-rushing style of his. You know, and if he tries to outbox Spence, it'll be a long night for him too. I, I, you know, I get excited by fights like this because I think it's a good fight for Spence because once you beat Porter, you put yourself above Crawford in terms of who's beaten who. You know, Porter's a world champion, it's a unification fight. The winner of this might fight Pacquiao while Terence Crawford is still treading water on the other side of the river, as they like to say. So we're hoping for a hell of a fight. We're hoping that it's explosive and it's decisive one way or the other. Split decisions or majority decisions won't cut it in this fight. And I do genuinely think that the key the key will be the Porter left hook and whether that lands or not. And the Errol Spence left uppercut. There will be the two punches. If Spence can establish a left uppercut, be it to the body or the head, and then bring something over the top of that, it's a hard night for Porter and he could get busted up badly. But if Porter can double up on those hooks, double left hooks, straight into a right hook to the body, Spence could have a hard night. He might not be built that tough. But he got through Kell Brook and Kell Brook is built that tough. So this is an interesting you know, measure. It's a bellwether of where Kell Brook, not Kell Brook, sorry, where Errol Spence is in his career. Because if he can wipe the floor with Sean Porter, pfft, Hall of Fame trajectory already. But if nothing else, I think this fight's given us a reasonably entertaining build-up. And, you know, when you have two characters like Sean Porter and Errol Spence, vastly different characters, but with equally biting and cutting comments aimed at each other, I don't think there's anything more entertaining in boxing in my eyes.
Knocking out 147-pound Showtime Sean Porter. Like, you know, he's been talking a lot. His dad been talking a lot, and I want to knock him out. You know, they're going to call me. After Saturday night, they're going to call me the showstopper. I promise you that. People complained about you not knocking nobody, out 135-pound pound Mikey Garcia. Nobody complained about my fights. You wild. You fight like a football player. You ain't. Hey, hey the you question a, was proposed to you, baby. You an in-shape street fighter. 135-pound Mike you Garcia. You an in-shape street fighter. That's what you, you are. Do you think that Errol Spence is more technical you than you? fight like you drowning. Errol Spence is definitely a technical. You fight like you drowning you don't know how to swim. Did knock out one. <laughs> that might be the best description of a boxing style ever. You fight like you're drowning and you can't swim. <laughs> Uh, I'm high on Errol Spence for any number of reasons. And what Errol's showing now is not only is he a good boxer, but he's a good talker and he can draw interest in a fight. The undercard's good as well. You've got Benavides versus Andre Durrell, which I think is a good, you know, gatekeeper type fight for him. And, you know, hopefully onwards and upwards for Benavides. I think Benavides is also a formidable opponent and I think it's super middle. He's more than enough trouble for everybody. You know, on a side note, I think Chad Dawson's fighting soon. And, you know, you'd like to think certain guys would stop. And this is the challenge you have in boxing. In every other sport like football, there's no incentive for letting the old guys have a go. Because selling tickets isn't enough. It's about winning games. Whereas in boxing, selling tickets is enough. So if you sell enough tickets, it doesn't matter how old you are. They'll find an opponent to make you look good so you can keep selling tickets. It's a sad state of affairs in boxing and it rips away at our credibility. But I don't think there's much you can do about it now. We're, we're in too deep to ever pull ourselves out. Look, I'm going to cut it short because I think I'm probably breaching my 30-minute mark. But, you know, let, look, tweet. Let me know your thoughts on the Porter-Spence fight. Let me know your thoughts on you know, the AJ undercard. And as always, look, thank you for the reviews. I don't know how many we're up to now, but I read those. I've read every single review. I've probably read a lot of them two or three times. And I read them because I'm looking for ways that we can make the show better. And I'm also looking for ways to make sure you guys get out of it what you want. So any ideas for podcasts, please drop me a message. Probably easier via Twitter because on Instagram, people send me messages. Then they send me about 50 different videos. Now I've got to scroll up to find what they want me to talk about. And it can get quite painful. So, yeah, anything you want me to talk about, let me know. If you want any guests, I'm going to start drifting into that probably from about mid-October, start looking at who we can get on as guests. And if you are a boxer and you're listening and you do want to get on as a guest, look, just send me a private message. Let's have a chat because the key, the key criteria for it revolves around two key areas, actually. So the key criteria, one, you've got to be a good talker. So you've got to have a voice that people are going to understand and engage with you. Number two, you've got to have a story or at least a strong opinion about something. And then we can have a two-way discussion because it's more, I'm trying to move away from just having a Q&A type thing into more, let's just have a conversation and see what comes out. So you need the right characters to do that. But I think it will be, it will do wonders for everyone. You know, we can hopefully break the format. But as always, guys, Get in touch on Twitter at Highfield Boxing, Instagram at Highfield Boxing, and you know, let's keep the, the good fight going. Thanks very much, guys. Take care and enjoy your weekends.